friends. It's true, you know. Personal, local, global wellness. You may now begin the course. The emotional response to love. It's awfully important. Is usually the result of a decommy family. A show of affection. Redefining what health means for you. And the real fundamental you. 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 Well, if you'd like a place where there's never a dull moment, choose the right flavor of wellness for you. Syndacy Wellness. Hosts the personal, local, global wellness show. Welcome, everyone. This is the personal, local, global wellness show. Uh, today we have Emma with Outside Wellness with us. Um, going to give you a little bit of background on me. My name is Jean Sindesi. I'm a healthcare practitioner at Sindesi Wellness. I help people move from overwhelm in stressful, overproductive environments um, to a state of calm, peace, and comfort. I work with a lot of business entrepreneurs, men and women, and I use stress management skills as well as nutrition analysis to help them get a better balance on their lives. Today we have the incredible Emma Kapalong, am I saying it right? Yeah. With us, and we're going to take a deep dive into nature therapy, into having children as our masters again, um, and looking up to them in terms of healing and reigniting our curiosity for life. But Emma, thank you for being here. Thank you for joining us. And um, would you like to get started with just a little bit of what got you into doing what you're doing, what struggles you faced, what experiences in life have led you to the work that you do now and help so many people? Yeah. Um, love that question. We are diving in. <laughs> so I got into this work originally due to a lot of challenges that I had as a teenager. I found coaching work and wellness work and nature therapy, both through guiding. I'm a rock climbing guide. And so through that work as well as working with a nonprofit with teenagers, taking them outside, leading group workshops. And it, uh, I'm not a certified therapist. I am a wellness coach and it's very therapeutic. Although I just want to clarify that right off the bat. I'm not a therapist. I love therapy. I go to therapy. I'd love to dive deep, but um, I have suicide prevention training in that. And so those were, I really struggled with depression, anxiety, and just wanted to be out of my body when I was a teenager. I looked to substances a lot when I was a teen. And it was really, I think the root of it was me wanting to get outside of my body. And that kind of led me back in my body with hallucinogens. But <laughs> anyway, that was um, really challenging as a teen, as many of us have been teens or are teens today. It's really, really hard. <laughs> so I worked with teenagers for two years, and that's how I got into the coaching work, the therapeutic work, and the deeper outdoor therapy work. About a year into my work at this nonprofit, Big Sky Youth Empowerment, I um, had a miscarriage. Me and my partner went through our first miscarriage and just rocked our whole world. Had no idea that my body could feel so much emotional and physical pain. And so going through that while 
being in an environment as a, a giver for teenagers was was really good to be able to dive in. Sometimes helping others is what we need. And also sometimes it can be a distraction. So that's when I started to dive into my own work. I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm helping teens, but I haven't healed my teenage self, my childhood self. And I basically learned through that experience how to mother myself and how to nurture myself and how to receive So that has been such a huge, deep dive into my creative work. I do not have a baby on this earth, but I do have so many beautiful relationships that have come out of this and so much more strength that I know that my body is, is capable of after this. And, um, so that has been a huge part of my work. I found a Um, I've been learning more about wellness and coaching because I love guiding. I love guiding experiences for people and providing safe spaces for people to talk about the wonderful things that are going on and also the really challenging parts about growth and movement and making changes and relationships and all the things related to life. So honoring the, the good and the challenging and putting those together. And so I, um, I found a Mayo Clinic certification for health and wellness coaches and finished that earlier this year. And it was really amazing to have a little bit more of a traditional background. And so I can integrate that with nature-based work um, and make sure that I'm doing best practice and really integrating traditional Western medicine with also traditional intuitive wisdom that we all have in our bodies. Wow. Oh, I I didn't know you were going to go so deep and vulnerable. And I'm so grateful that you did. I'm so excited that I love when I have practitioners in front of me who've walked the gamut, they've walked the fires. And I think oftentimes we want to learn from and be guided from people who've gone places we haven't gone and can hold our hand while we go there. But the fact that you're going to just share it with the world. It gives me so much strength. You know, I have a sister by my side who's like, let's be real. Let's be raw. I'm curious. We didn't really chat on this, like in terms of preparing the interview, but Mm -hmm. since you went there, have you found, and so Emma's also an incredible writer and like a deep thinker. So she's not afraid to swim in the deep end. Um, Correlations of the earth's phases and cycles with your healing and reflection of your miscarriage experience? Yeah, it's, it's been really amazing too, that it's, it's not a linear healing is not linear. I think that's what I've learned most through this. It's always cyclical. And sometimes it's like a big ball of like so many things going on at the same time, cyclical and a really, wild and beautiful way. And so being outside and seeing, seeing seasons. And that's why I think it's so important that we protect our earth as much as we can so that we can see each season and see that change so that we're reminded that nature heals, our bodies heal. I often ask in, in these interviews, people 
usually towards the end, their definition or metaphor of healing. And I think that was such a beautiful, really cuts to the bone, close kind of expression of, of healing in terms of the idea of how I've had a lot of people on here um, who have talked about death, grievance, regeneration, a woman who lost her four-month-old baby, uh, a woman who lost her partner, um, and that people don't know how to communicate or even hold space for others when it's something that they're not used to bringing to light. Mm-hmm. And you know, a topic like miscarriage and the youth and beauty and you know safety that you embrace us with just being you. How have you seen that? it's been helpful for others to communicate with you during that, that phase, or if they have other friends who are going through things that they don't know how to connect to this one woman who lost her child. She was like, I lost so many friends during that experience actually, but I gained a lot more who could hold that space. And when I fell 25 feet two years ago, I really saw certain people step up in a way that I didn't know that they cared for me that much. Um, Mm -hmm. But just any reflection you have on on that for friends um, who care for their loved ones who are going through something that's unimaginable to them, what you might advise of how or what they could do. Because I think people get kind of shocked because they're not used to swimming in the deep end. Yeah. Like you help people learn how to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you have any reflection on that as well, because I hear people say, well, what do I do when someone's going through something so deep and transformative and oftentimes sad or horrific. Yeah, June, I love that question. I think it's really timely right now as well because so many people are hurting and grief is really, really uncomfortable. (laughs) And so if you're not experiencing it, sometimes there might be some guilt or shame. Like, I don't know what you're going through and maybe I should or instead of okay, I'm grateful for where I am. I'm grateful that I have the capacity to hold space for this human going through it. It's so hard though. I remember when I was going through miscarriage and I actually went through it twice. Um, We have lost two little babes and are taking a little bit of a break. (laughs) I'm feeling good in my body, doing a lot to, to take care and, um, to go back to your question, when you're going through it, when you're in it, like right now, I feel so confident talking about it. And I want to bring it up because one out of five women go through pregnancy loss. It's a lot. That's a lot of people. Wow. And so that's why I feel comfortable talking about it now. But before, some pe- so many people are so uncomfortable um, and so they, we don't know what to say when someone is going through something that we haven't personally gone through. And the beautiful thing is, is we still have empathy. Even if you haven't gone through it exactly, we have empathy in our bodies, in our brains. And if you feel that discomfort when someone tells you like, I lost this, or I have a sick family member, or I'm going through this, just before you say anything... I would encourage you to take a deep breath. Silence is beautiful. (laughs) And that's what I don't think I received enough of. 
in that time. It was just like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. Instead of just like, <sighs> honor it, breathe. And then feel in your body. What are you feeling when someone tells you that? Oftentimes I feel it in my chest and my heart, even bringing your hand to the heart. And think about when you're doing that, that you're also supporting your loved one that you're talking with. Even if you might not go give them a hug right away right now, if, if you're socially distancing or whatever, just like, I'm with you. And there's nothing that you really have to say. There's not any right thing to say. Sometimes nothing <laughs> is perfect too. Wow. It's presence. And that reverence and honoring something because after my accident and people were like, well, why did you break your back? Or why did this happen? Yeah. I didn't want to tell any more people because I didn't like the face they made yeah. at me. They would yeah. go, oh. and then I was like, well, I grew up to always do things, dress, act in a way that was appeasing to people. So why would I ever bring something up that's so real about me that would make mm -hmm. them uncomfortable? was kind of my excuse for, I, I was, I stopped being real for a little while, like six months. I wasn't really honest about when people would ask me questions, I would kind of just very quickly veer the subject. Mm -hmm. But one friend who is a jock boxer, hedge fund dude, he called me every day for three months. And maybe it was like a physical injury. So it was very close to the bone for something that he could understand. <laughs> you know, he, he knew other warriors who got hurt or something, but he would just call me and he wouldn't say anything like you're saying, but holding space and, and giving that reverence recently as well. My partner was like, am I allowed to be weak? Am I allowed to be a man who's weak sometimes? Or do I have to be strong all the time? Can you just hold space for me? And I'm like, oh wait, yes, that's what I do. It's trauma work. Like this is what I love. But he had to like really call me out and say like, don't try and fix anything. Don't try and look something up. Just hold space. He's more <laughs> in his divine feminine than me sometimes, you know? I love that. <laughs> but I'm really excited we went there and that you kind of guided us through. It seems so simple. And I remember a couple of years ago when I started to put my hand on my heart, when I didn't know what to say. And I, I, it was like uh, kind of a nonverbal thing I already did for myself in a new experience. Mm -hmm. And I thought I shouldn't do it because I didn't see other people doing it. So I'm like, maybe you shouldn't do that, June. Like, maybe that's weird. But then I'm like, this is just what I feel. So I'm going to start doing it. But I, I think it's so odd that we grow up in a culture where we mirror. That's how we learn. We mirror. And then through that, sometimes we kind of lose our own personal connection to the divine, to the divine, as well as we lose our own authentic resonance with what we're experiencing and how you said, how we would honor or, you know, be in reverence to something. And it's kind of bringing up a question in me of how do you believe nature helps people get back in touch with their true authentic nature? Mm -hmm. Because I know you work with a lot of people on that. And I know we're going totally off the questions we had prepared, but I'd rather that. swim in the deep end and mess up a hundred <laughs> times than you know, be rehearsed as what we're talking about. Yeah. A big part of it, I can only speak to my own experience, but I know many others who feel this as well. Being 
outdoors outside of a small space. I mean, I look like I'm in this beautiful meadow, but it's really just a tapestry, but it makes me feel like I'm outside still. Um, (laughs) but anything we can do to really connect with the earth and feel, I mean, we are earth, we are earth. And as much as we can remember that for me, it's been, it's been so humbling. It's like all the things I kind of, I have this visualization sometimes when it might be a really stressful day and I'm like running around in work and like, maybe I haven't eaten lunch yet. And I'm just like, wow. And I feel like my head is huge. Like my head feels like a balloon and going outside and taking some fresh breaths of air, even just five minutes, taking my shoes and socks off and just like being in some, some dirt or some grass, anything other than concrete. It can be really nearby even in your neighbor's <laughs> neighbor's backyard or something. Go say hi to your neighbors. Um, and it just makes me feel both small. It makes me feel really, really tiny in a good way. I really just like, oh, I'm so, I'm so small in relation to all my problems. Um, all my problems seem so big, but really like I'm here. <laughs> And then, yeah, I feel like rock climbing is another way that I've found so much grounding. Um, That also makes me feel really, really tiny. And not tiny in a way where I feel insignificant. Sometimes it's kind of a wonderful feeling when you look up at the stars and it's like, wow, this is overwhelming in a good way. But also you feel like I am a part of this. I am significant and I'm such a small part of this whole big system that's just doing its thing. It's already, it's already perfect the way it is. And so connecting in that way uh, really helps me and many others just feel, feel part of it all, feel what really matters, what is essential. And also helps connect to it so we can protect it and have more of it, more access for people as well to feel that. I love that. I, I love that. I haven't heard that before. That that idea of being in nature really helps regain perspective. And I was thinking with emotionality and authenticity, when I go into nature, I start to, I'm that um, recovering perfectionist. <laughs> so I start to see how imperfect things are allowed to be. Mm. And I was sitting with this Good. tree the other day that I was actually, I put two chairs next to each other and I had to sit between each chair and coach myself. And, um, it, it was a lot around acceptance of where I am now. And the tree was, was whole. It was a full tree, but part of one of the branches was broken. Another part was like infested with ants. Another part I saw like didn't get a lot of sun from where it was. And I, I was able to see like, Oh, regain perspective. Like you're saying, there's so many different categories in my life and each one has so many different variables, but yet I might be like ahead on one and feel really behind on another, but I'm still whole and I'm still alive. And and I think nature is the greatest teacher and we are nature. My mother had to eat from the earth to create me and that I, whether people believe in many light kingdoms, many different schools of thought of where we came from with the creation stories, but 
we all came to embody through the earth and that earth school is what we chose to to do put on this earth suit and and I'm really excited to dive deeper into the work that you do because my my heart is having a call to what you've immersed yourself in much deeper than I have because I was more white coat laboratories doctor vein of things which got me more in my head and growing up with like um obsessive kind of body focused repetitive behavior like hair pulling or some people sit in the out and the mirror for our skin picking I was so in here and not grounded to allow energy just to, to flow through me and really struggled. Um, and so I'm, I'm wondering, I think you've dove in, into it a bit, but you know, wilderness um, therapies and, and this, this approach that you take to health coaching where it's much more immersive outside because some people might get really heady um, it seems so simple that nature would be so healthy. I've heard something even now called nature deficit disorder that kids mm-hmm. are having, uh, in cities. I don't really quite even know the fundamentals of what is happening, the breakdown there, but do you have any just basic examples of why getting into nature is so necessary for the nervous system? I know there's a lot of research out there and I want to hear what what you would say. Yeah. I mean, convincing arguments, get yes. out of your cardboard or <laughs> concrete <laughs> home. Uh, I, I think fundamentally, I mean, we as living beings on this planet as humanity and just as life, we have been around for millions of years and all of that time, we have learned to be with the earth. We have learned the earth. We have learned the rhythms and the systems and all that is outdoors. And only recently, very, very recently in relation to all of life's existence on this planet, have been indoors, have been living around concrete and industrialism and we're not we're not suited for that environment our brains and our bodies have not evolved for this so i think fundamentally that is where that is why there's a nature deficit disorder is because we all of our ancestors all of our ancestors and ourselves are created in and from nature I love that you said all because race, religion, creed, culture cannot be separated from that. Mm-hmm. And it's only been about 200 years since the Industrial Revolution. And there might be many different motives for how that came about. <laughs> you know, the greed mindset, more 24 hour mindset, when in a lot of traditions, a Sabbath is necessary. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of old farming traditions, not even old. One of my mentors who is from Germany, she's like 60 or 70, saying that the way that we go about farming, you're going to be able to help me with this because I'm newer, but the monocropping versus Mm -hmm. biodiversity of having many different fields with many different foods and just having one kind of food Mm -hmm. and then not using our hands and not having 
personal love and care in how we're nurturing the land. Yeah. These big machines that don't care for the bird's nest or the, the bees or the insects that are adding to the richness and the nutrients of the soil. And they're just, you know, grazing about, not grazing, but like using the machines to just knock out all of these beings. Mm -hmm. And there's this unconscious kind of disconnect from how we're circulating with the earth and, and, and getting our, our nourishment source, which is food. She was saying, you know, in, in Germany, like each part of the land, each year they would take one part of the land and it would just regenerate. The rest do nothing. Mm-hmm. And now that would be seen with an exploitation mindset as a loss. Mm-hmm. And so these basic fundamental practices, even in the Torah, which I grew up with, on the seventh year, you don't reap. There was yeah. just balance. And we've gotten so out of balance since, you know, I think we stopped having such a connection and in, in visceral visceral connection to what's happening. And I know that women's moon cycles, we used to always bleed on the new moon and then ovulate on the full moon. But since electricity, we got confused. And then hormones issues and all these things have occurred. Um, and one other thing that I heard was 40% of kids in the UK believe that milk comes from the supermarket this extreme disconnect and and how is it not having such a big impact zach bush and his work with the soil and the deprivation and the imbalance in mm-hmm. our microbiomes is due to the imbalance in the soil so i'm starting to wake up to it and it's starting to become a very unnerving awareness uh that new documentary and project kiss the ground that a lot of um media stars got involved with of like reabsorbing CO2 from the atmosphere in the soil using regenerative agriculture rather than, um, I think it's called CFO farming or something, regular traditional cowshuits type farming, um, that we don't all have to stop eating animals that they're part of the cycle. But that is my rant on the frustration of when I start to become aware, not around people's feelings, because not everyone has the gift of connecting to animals. And I was only first introduced mm-hmm. to some of this work through my friends who are vegan, who are like, I feel bad for the cats. And I'm like, when I was four and in Hebrew school, they said, you know, humans are supposed to rule and manage the earth and we're supposed to rule or manage the animals. And, and we have a different ability to, to manage things than the animals do. But if I think about it now, the animals are in reverence to the big cycles. And so if we were more in in resonance with that, maybe we would see that. But I would say like to some of my vegan friends, some people don't learn the same way. They don't have the emotional connection to animals. So they they can't go down that vein of research because they don't Mm -hmm. want the cow to get hurt. But that there are so many other ways to see the horrific effects of being disconnected. Mm-hmm. the earth right now and i think too that mentor was telling me that's part of the reason covid's so bad in the u.s because we're so badly imbalanced that we have all these underlying issues that people are experiencing covid in a, a more severe way because we're so imbalanced and our health is you know a boil on the issue 
thank you for listening to me (laughs) express my just awakening that you guide people through each day of how to come back into resonance with, but it's really unnerving for me. And I, um, I think the only thing to do is to gather and grab hands with fellow brothers and sisters who have seen and have felt and have found remedies to soothe their awarenesses that are quite fracturing. Yeah. Yeah, it is an overwhelming time. And this is something that we can work through within our own bodies. We see climate change, we see fires. What what is changing in you? <laughs> what are the things like for example, fire suppression? Native tribes and nations on this U.S. land have done controlled burns from the beginning of time. And that is something that we've not honored. So there's actually to get, to support the earth's systems and so that there's not such giant uncontrollable fires. We actually need fire, which seems kind of contradictory as I'm sure you know about this as well. And so thinking about that, so giving land back to native tribes and nations is huge. And within our own bodies, we can do so much of that work as well. Because when we have all of this debris and all of these bits that have fallen within our lives and they're sitting still inside of us, when something happens, when we go through grief or trauma, they ignite and it is overwhelming. That is what's happening right now, both in our earth and in our bodies. It's so overwhelming. And when we're able to, when you feel a release, like talking a little bit about, um, my, my, I have go to a therapist who's trained in somatic experiencing, which is all about what you feel in your body. And so when I'm freaking out about something or going on a tangent, I'm like, wow, what do I do? She's like, slow down. What are you feeling in your body? And sometimes I'll just start bawling. And she's like, you don't even need to tell me the story. You don't even need to tell me the story. That release, sometimes we may shake. Sometimes we might shake. Sometimes we might cry, but allowing and honoring that as release, not as something to be suppressed because we, as we see in earth, that suppression is what ignites. And that is, I think when I was a teenager, why I struggled so much with intense, intense anxiety, anxiety attacks was because I would get to this point and I wouldn't allow myself to release until it would just overtake my whole body. So I think that is one thing that we can, we can do, um, honoring the stewards of this land who have been stewards of this land and who have protected it for generations and generations and generations and bringing them back into power. Native, native land needs to be in the hands of people who know, know her so well intimately. And so that is one thing that I strongly believe in. And then another thing is also just working through whatever you're going through in your own body. People are like, what do I do? What can I do? Start in your body. 
because it's a direct reflection. We are an extension of the earth and somehow we've forgotten this. And I love the beautiful imagery you just, you just showed us of like, if we saw a magnificent waterfall, we are in awe. We are, we honor it. We also don't get too close because it could hurt us with the power (laughs) that's coming down, you know, if it's a big one. And when we see a fire, we, we honor it. We don't get too close, you know, just like a basic campfire. Um, and when we feel the earth shake, we, we feel the rumble. And so I love the paint picture you just painted because in trauma work, which is a vein of wellness, I'm very interested in psycho, psycho, psychosomatic mm-hmm. experiencing, yeah. somatic experiencing, um, Levine's work. You know, there's so many different ways to go about it. Where have we gone wrong where we've stopped seeing ourselves as extensions of the earth? And, and why don't we allow ourselves to cry? Why don't we allow ourselves to shake? When I would work with different Tao masters, we'd hold these postures for 30 minutes an hour and we'd have certain parts of our body shaking. And that were, they would say, you know, you're releasing blockage, you're releasing old muscle patterns to, you know, kind of burn through or, or create a new pattern. And a lot of great body workers I know as well say we hold our body in a certain way that we have certain mental patterns that tell us we are, are we to be afraid or we are to be confident. And it's like we tend to the land a certain way, it starts to look a certain way. We tend our mind a certain way, our body starts to look a certain way. And to really challenge people to to honor when the 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 crying or the shaking, or one of my mentors would say, you know, anger, we would have evolved out of it if we didn't need it, but we need it to protect the tribe or others. And anger is valid. Being able to express anger without harming other nervous systems, other beings, going into a field and screaming and letting it out. There's a lot of different workshops people go to to learn how to manage emotion. I used to do those for four years where we'd really get in touch with our anger. Um, is necessary. And I love that you took the subjectivity out of it and you made it very objective in the way that you expressed just releasing in it and not to judge each other when we see each other go into it, but to make it more impersonal to say, Oh, your physiology, like, where's your physiology at? Um, and, and I think it's something that we haven't been educated enough on. And I'm, mm-hmm. I'm really excited to be chatting with you on it because I think if people could give their partners a little bit more of a break or their children or their parents and just say, wow, like they're in a heated state, mm-hmm. I'm going to let you take your time to cycle through that and then come yeah. back because we can't access our cognitive centers when we're in those states. And so, so many of us are in those states right now. <laughs> yeah, they can't be on at the same time. And people don't know this about the the nervous system as well as when you're able to access your, your cognitive functioning. And so I love how you said the therapist said, you also don't need to attach a story to it when you're in a big physiological experience. Why try and override the thinking? Why not just be? Um, so please riff off that if, if you'd like to in any way. I'm just so stimulated by the, the depth of how you hold yourself and walk your your walk as a practitioner walk in the walk thank you um yeah i would say that 
rock climbing as a physical practice has been one of the biggest things for me because I would be so scared. I would have a lot of fear. Even today, after doing it for over 10 years now, on and off, I still, when I get up to a big rock face and I have everything I need, I know that I've done all my checks to make sure everything is physically safe. The mental aspect of it is so hard. It's so scary sometimes. (sighs) Remembering to breathe. Focusing on each little movement. When I do start to shake, my legs sometimes start to shake. And breathing and moving through each step of the way. And it's so hard. Sometimes I'll want to like look up there and be like, oh, that's where I want to go. But in, in, in order to go where we want to go, we have to be here. We have to feel what's, what's happening right now. Otherwise, as nature does, it cycles back through and we're going to end up right back here. (laughs) The same thing going on. So rock climbing for me has been amazing because it is, it is really, um, a kind of gentle, both gentle and brutal mirror to just be like, okay, this is so hard. It's kind of pointless when you think about it, just climbing a rock. (laughs) But it's such a mental journey and adventure that you go through anything more. And so I love taking people out and having that experience, whether people have climbed a lot and want a deeper experience and to relate it with some, some other challenges that they might have. Like maybe they're going through some relationship challenges and feel like kind of on the edge, whether they want to stay in or leave. And maybe getting outside of the story a little bit, having a physical practice and just getting over something, feeling your body face fear and get through it and get through it a little stronger. And it feels so good whether you get to the top or you just get on the wall, like whatever someone's goal is, is perfect. And so it's so fun to to guide those experiences. I love, love, love that. And rock is such an amazing element. Earth is an amazing element. And just like feeling the steadiness, the sturdiness of that is so grounding and helpful. So I don't even remember what your question is. No, for sure. No, and I love that (laughs) because I, I, um, I always hear like great businessmen who, um, are in the four top 500, the common theme of what most great businessmen or people who achieve and accomplish do mm-hmm. daily is physically challenge themselves because of the mental hurdles they have to train themselves to be able to get over to expand and you know achieve more um and I love climbing. I I climbed <laughs> too much when I first learned probably 7 years ago. And I got these big cysts in my hands <laughs> because I was doing it six days every day a week. And the doctor wow. said, I'm going to have to operate and you're going to be, you know, out of commission for <laughs> a couple months. But that shows too, like I, I really struggled with uh, balance. I, I struggled with like all or nothing mentalities. Mm-hmm. And so many of us and, do. Yeah. And so then when I, uh, when I fell in my hiking accident, I had just, there was, uh, I was on a scramble. So if you're not a climber, it's mm-hmm. a very steep kind of, you got to find grips. 
without any ropes or anything like that no no ropes (laughs) and um I had been sparring the morning of doing some Muay Thai stuff and I had a bunch of energy and I kind of went up this side of a mountain and I was trying to get back quickly and it Mm -hmm. started to rain Mm -hmm. and so I uh I wasn't watching each step that I was taking there had been a rock slide so I had to find a new way down um but my mind was actually what I was thinking about was an older sister figure I was thinking oh I if only I could be more like her and I could be who I want to be 10 years down the road then maybe I could be happy (laughs) very very much you know not present not falling in love with who I was that was the thought that I had so I was literally futurizing mentally and then my body I wasn't looking at what I was doing and so putting ourselves in these situations you know if we are with lead lead climbing or roped up or physically challenging but really take the time to be present I feel Mm -hmm. like can train these parts of us that are oftentimes being overused we're always over planning or overthinking instead of being really present and in an exercise like climbing which I should get more into I should put the harness back on put my climbing shoes on get out there it's hard I've been a little afraid to be honest it's okay (laughs) but maybe I'll come do it with you um I, I can see how crucial it is for people who, who think they need to get more in their heads, but they actually need to get more in their bodies Yeah, because we can't figure our way out of our nervous systems. And I so many times wish that I could. Yeah. Um, I want to say one thing before we go to another question about the tribes. I was very into um, interviewing native tribes, something like 30 different countries I went to at an early age, by the time maybe 20, interviewing different tribal leaders. And one of my uncles said, you come from a tribe, Jean, the Jewish tribe. Mm-hmm. And what I like to do is call out people from the patriarchal lineages, my Palestinian friends, my Arab friends, my Christian friends, and my Jewish friends, and, and remind them, we were tribes of the land once too. And it's our responsibility even if we've forgotten it in our literature, in the political, you know, kind of <laughs> the political things that have happened over the thousands of years that have shifted the way that we view our religions, to mm. go to the natives of the land now and re relearn how to take care of the land. Because at one time, we were nomadic tribes as well, and we were connected to the land. And I don't want people to think they're off the hook just because they love Jesus. My partner loves Jesus too. And I like Moses and Abraham and all that. But that doesn't mean that we don't have the same responsibilities they had just because we can drive Lamborghinis or Porsches. I am very adamant about, you know, calling out my own brothers and sisters and myself in that responsibility of taking care of what has taken care of us and not losing Mm -hmm. that connection because we don't think we're native tribesmen. Everyone was once. And you've brought that up. And I would love to go into the question you have. And of course, riff off anything I've said around the uh, Mm -hmm. idea of helping people in the work that you do connect to the ecosystem they live in and how you do research with 
um, different people that you work with and yourself included of the land that you live on right now and the resonance that it's carried before you inhabited it and why that's so important to be aware of. I think that's extremely interesting in the vibrations people might be picking up unconsciously because the land is so much bigger than their small, you know, mark of time they've lived on it and what it's gone through and what it was used for those, those yeah. uh, practices and intentions that you guide people through. Yeah. I mean, first of all, the land holds stories, like you mentioned, the land holds all the stories and to be able to, I mean, not know all the stories, but feel the stories. And you don't, we don't always, I mean, I'm the kind of person who's so curious. I'm always wondering about why things are the way they are. And so I'll go outside and sometimes I'll be like, I mean, I, I believe in God. I, I trust in Jesus too. And I, Jesus was out in the wilderness. Like when something hard was happening, he's like, I need to, I'll, I'll be right back. (laughs) I gotta, I gotta reconnect with God. And just connecting to land, connecting to our creator, no matter what story of origin of creation you have been brought up in. There's, there's so many stories in each of the areas of the land as well. And so listening to the stories, listening to creator's peace and in not always knowing the stories, but still caring deeply about this land because we are stewards and protectors, protectors, no matter where we are, that is our calling, each of us humans. And also for land management, <laughs> for knowing how to best keep the land safe and receive, not take. I don't know if you have learned much from uh, Robin Wall Kimmerer very much. She wrote a few books and is an amazing leader in this realm of just listening to plants and moths and she so you should check it out i can also post a link to um a ted talk and a um, a podcast that she did with krista tippett on on being and just asking the land even sometimes this is kind of funny i do a lot of like leave no trace principles as well when we're outside which is different principles to best take care of the land when we're when we are recreating um so it's like planning ahead and preparing walking and camping on durable surfaces um taking care of fires leaving only what you find respecting wildlife and other visitors some things like that and so when i teach that even the one where it's like leave what you find and dispose of waste properly. Like even before I poop in the woods, I like (laughs) sometimes I'll just like touch the earth and be like, Hey, I'll go buy a tree so that the tree can use (laughs) my nourishment. And I'll be like, Hey, may I, may I use this spot? And I'll just like touch the earth for a moment and connect. And sometimes I'll, I'll both feel the earth and it'll feel kind of hard. And I'll be like, I don't want to break into this soil. This soil is not ready. And then also sometimes I will feel in my chest, like, no. And so honoring that when there's a no. So even something as silly as pooping in the woods, like honoring the land 
<laughs> and taking only what we've been received. I <laughs> have to riff off you here. Yeah, please. <laughs> that you went here. So incredible. And my partner will kill me, but <laughs> oh, somehow no. I'll, I'll survive it. So he's an Eagle Scout. And, you know, all the scout masters used to be really intense about <laughs> taking care of the land. And one time they were all together and he was trying to educate me on this, relieving myself in the woods. Like, you don't do it where people would be, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, and I learned the hard way. There was like a little kind of Simba rock in the middle of our campground when, <laughs> when he was growing up that he's like, oh, that's a perfect place to take a crap. And so <laughs> the next morning, all they, they all woke up and the, the scoutmaster's like, who put here and filled the rock? This, this is like, it was just the perfect rock, he said. And everything the light touches. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and it was just such a funny story. Then there's me a couple months ago who went and relieved myself in the woods. And I just, I had to go so bad. And I just, I went and pooped in this place. I have my British mother in my mind, like, <laughs> video right now, but you know. Um, and there was something in me that said, I can't leave it there. Like, too many people might walk through there, or it's just not right. And Sterling is like, Well, you already went. And I'm like, No, it's not right. And so I, I, I found a Ziploc bag and I, put the whole poop in the Ziploc bag. And I, I said, we have to throw it away in a garbage. I just can't leave it out. And he's laughing and he, he's like, I don't want to keep this in the car with us. So he <laughs> put the Ziploc bag in the, in the uh, window. We zipped it window and we're driving down the poop hanging out the window. And he's just, he likes to kind of, be hard on me, but I had a sense. And, you know, just because women, we have our moon phases and our cycles and we have to be in touch with our sense because we nurture life within males have senses too. Mm -hmm. So if you're male watching this, I'm not letting you off the hook of what feels right and what doesn't feel right. Um, but I'm just so happy we went there because why not? All is welcome <laughs> here. Crying, pooping, shaking. <laughs> We're human. Yeah, we are full like the earth. Um, but I would love for you to share the story that you found around the land that you live on and, and the connection to that and, and what it had been used for, Bozeman, Montana. Yeah, so it is Bozeman, Montana is also known as the Valley of Flowers to a lot of local tribes. And um the Shoshone Bannock and Blackfeet and many other tribes uh, all used this. They were actually, there was a war going on for these, for this land. And there's this area called Maiden Rock and all like they were about to, they were about to fight and they saw their creator, um, each of them in their own language come up on this maiden rock and say, no, this is a land of love, of peace, of harmony. And so they stopped and it became a common hunting ground for all of these five tribes and many more. And so it's still, that is still in the land. That is still in the land that I feel often. Although with political challenges and everything, so many people have forgotten that. There's not a lot of compassion and empathy still. Um, no matter what land we're on right now. And so honoring 
that in the encounters that I have. And I remember that from going outside in the wilderness here and remembering, remembering that. Wow. And I'll roof off that because of the land that I've lived on the last two years during my rehabilitation and rehab health journey. I chose to go to Sedona because there was a lot of people who go there for healing pilgrimages. And, um, a lot of natives I met said that no tribes ever really lived in Sedona where the vortexes are. It was only a place they would go to pilgrimage. Mm. Maybe like some very older people or healers, which is kind of what it is now. But not a lot of people live there long. It's a very transient place where people come in and out and come for healing, come for big awakenings. Um, I was also conceived there. And there's an, a legend and myth above Bell Rock that many souls wait and they come through and, um, oh, and feel wow. a strong resonance to that when I, when I came there nine um, mm-hmm. years ago and have come back and forth. We are going to be ending our, our Instagram live because we've gone as far as we could in two minutes. <laughs> just so everyone knows, we're going to have to take a pause to just click off there. But if you'd like to keep watching us, we're on June Syndicy Facebook Live right now. Um, and this will be available later as well. But um, I, I feel it because living back and forth between Scottsdale and Sedona and one of my mentors, when we went to Las Vegas, someone was um, getting some surgery. We were supporting them. She was like, Las Vegas shouldn't exist. You know, the amount that the, the earth... Um, the toll that it takes on the earth to light up a city like that in the middle of a desert. I feel sometimes in Scottsdale with the, um, it's already so harsh for the life in the desert to live. And then these big poles coming up um, from the ground, you know, sucking energy out and feeling that Mm. wherever I do settle and find some land to create and ripple out my little peace and harmony that it feels a really healthy give and take from the land. And I used to be like, I hate the cold. I like the heat. But then the idea of being somewhere that really has a rich four seasons and not being so stuck up about it because it actually is going to impact the future generations longer than me Mm -hmm. if I choose to tread gentler on the land. I was speaking to a death doula and I said, you know, why have she was talking about how a lot of people in the U.S. have disconnected from honoring their ancestors, practices mm-hmm. of that. And she said, if you're not connected to your ancestors, you can rape and pillage the land. Yeah. And um, she was uh, educating me on a lot of those kind of principles from other traditions that they do, they do honor their, their dead and they do honor their ancestors to learn from them. I'm going to share this because we we kind of got lost on the Instagram. <laughs> yeah, but, I just saw that too. I just I was trying to do something, but I ended up just sending a whole bunch of hearts. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how to use social media, people. <laughs> we'll keep going. I need uh, your help <laughs> here. Yeah, it's so um, important. And speaking of this, like simple and sustainable wellness, if you're not connecting with practices of your own lineage, it can also be really damaging. 
such as the use of sage. Native peoples were banned from using these medicines until like the 70s. And so using them is a privilege as well. And so they were banned? Why? Mm-hmm. Any, so I have to look up a little bit more about the act, but there was, it, I think it was part of the Religious Freedom Act. I, wow. I don't know enough. I don't know enough. It's okay. About we're just, we're just grazing with what we do now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but just to honor the history and honor that these, there are certain medicines that resonate with us and it is of the land and we are of the land as well. And so it is something that, um, some native experts have told me, um, and I'm just so in awe of the commodification of these medicines, 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 medicines. It's true though. It's the not cacao. something that we bought. Yeah. It's something that is, that is given from the land and from, from people. And so being taught how to harvest it properly without killing the plant. And so that people who need it as their medicine, um, have, have access to it. And so connecting with your ancestors, connecting with the practices that are in your own lineage, that as a way to simplify. And also, I mean, sustainability is kind of a, it's kind of a funky topic, especially listening to, to Robin, um, Robin's work, sustainability is also sometimes permission to take as much as we want without harming too much. Um, so as a, sort of simplifying what wellness is to each individual, um, going back and connecting with your ancestors, going back and connecting with the practices that speak to you, not just because you saw it on Instagram and it looked really cool, um, because you can't really like smudge away cultural appropriation. So real. And you're getting to the layers of it. Cause I was just thinking, you know, hear me. Oh yeah. Yeah, I'll just leave mine in. An example would be buy from a native. Yes, exactly. I have an elder who collects sage, cedar, um, and and use that in your rituals if you're trying to connect with this land more. And mm-hmm. then her daughter, who's also was a sun dancer and a native um, teacher, expresses like people say like I like Palo Santo or um, sage and things and she's like you know South America they use Palo Santo but this land we use sage and so they were like they were talking about smudging or ceremony and she was just saying to honor ancestors of this land you know mm-hmm. um, and supporting supporting people who know what they're doing and have generations and generations of elders who have who've worked with this medicine um, and also European medicines as well. There's, I mean, people use rosemary and lavender, which are also amazing and so, so wonderful as well. So just, just some alternatives as well to, to look into if that's part of each of our lineages. And to be really mindful, like, mm-hmm. you know, I, I'm really gentle uh, because I've seen people do a lot of spiritual shaming, which is yeah. the opposite of why people are getting into connecting to someone mm-hmm. bigger than them. So I'm really, I, I work to be really gentle when I see someone trying something new and then I might know nine layers back from elders that would 
prefer some not that, like actually some Navajo um, native friends that I have don't like it when the spiritual age people are saying aho um, because it's kind of more like saying mm, hey it's 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 not it, it's something they don't really like I don't know how to go into it because I'm not Navajo so I don't want to butcher this but it's it's more like how black people can say the n-word but white people shouldn't <laughs> and so um saying like hey bro you know to a fellow black guy there's just some some things that are are safe for the, the, the Navajo people yeah and that um you know, miigwech or something more like thank you. Mm-hmm. But all these people are saying aho, and it's really, it's like a stab to cut deep. Some of the older grandmothers won't say anything because they're like, there's no use. But um, before using certain words or doing certain things, if the intention is honoring, to take yeah, a little bit exactly. more time and to chat with some people who yeah. have been taught these traditions from their grandparents. Um, because, and that's why I'm very gentle with it, but the intention is not to create more separation or right. more frustration. The intention is to be patient. And one of my elders, she said, you know, people say, I could never go up on the reservation land. Oh, I, I would, they would never accept me. She's like, if you go with that intention, no, you'll never get up there. Mm-hmm. If you do what I taught you, June, which is, what do you think they could need? What, what can I bring them? You know, what do they like there? Um, how can I support what those communities need? She's like, you easily get it. If, if you come from a place of wanting to contribute rather than take. And, and to listen. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we have a lot of fun things. I, I know we're getting, we're getting up there in time. Yeah. If, do you have 10 more minutes mm-hmm. um, to chat about anything close to your heart? You know, we have a lot here on sustainable wellness. Um, journaling is something we haven't really gotten in gotten into and self-coaching if you want to elaborate on your unique approach to health coaching it's very nature very physical um very much embracing the full body experience of being a human and not too heady because that's usually where we get stuck Mm -hmm. it's like we have the most trouble in between these six inches yeah (laughs) um but i will practice my listening as well and hear your passion of, of sharing your your artistry of how you help people reignite their power and take back their knowing thank you yeah a huge part of what i do is nature-based so even a lot of journaling or some doodling sort of guidance that i lead people through are often nature-based just because it is so grounding sometimes we can get in our heads so much when we're talking about growth or change or some people i even work with want to i mean i've worked with someone who has pre-diabetes and needs to make a big change about going vegan and that's like so so mental it's like i can't do that <laughs> And so bringing it back (laughs) into the body and processing all of that, 
processing, not just keeping it super positive, just like you can do it. And like, what do you love about vegetables? Like that's good to a certain point, but also like honoring all the things that are really scary, all the barriers that may come up and working through a plan when those come up and really focusing on how you want to feel versus how you want to look. And that is something that's so hard in today's age. I mean, working with teenagers, I I watched that and being a teenager, I watched myself kind of be like, well, what should I look like? And what should I wear? And so I work with a lot of people just to simplify that. And so much of that happens naturally when you're outside and you don't have a mirror around or you don't have a video where you can see yourself necessarily. And so um, Zoom is nice for now, but I love to work with people even over the phone and maybe we'll go on a walk together um, virtually, or maybe we will um, do Zoom and kind of turn the, the camera off a little bit and then do some some writing and drawing. And something I love to work with is the idea of seeds. So coaching as a theory is like bridging from where you are now to where you want to be. And so as a seed, you have all the DNA to be whatever kind of beautiful plant you want to be. And so to really dive into that and journal, like what is good now? What is working now? What has worked in the past? Uh, what strengths do you have? What are your deep, deep values? And then after really like having that solid foundation, then we talk a little bit about the soil you're in, the ecosystem you're currently in, the roots that you have to go down deep into, some support systems, um, some rituals or practices that you have through those roots. And then a seed doesn't grow upward. It grows downward through the roots and then it can grow up. And so that's sort of the nature-based work that we do. And the whatever is the, the plant um, is a is your vision, which is also something we do embodied work through, which is going outside and looking around and saying like, what is it that really like calls to me? Oh, is it this tree? That tree was really beautiful. What do I love about that? How can I relate that tree? to the growth that I want to embody in my own life, relating to my relationships or finances or physical health, emotional health. And so that is some of the kind of the theories I work with and going outside is really helpful and grounding. Also someone like myself who sometimes can be in my head so much. I love to just be outside. I feel like conversations flow so much more naturally Whenever the wind blows through, it reminds me to breathe, which is so good. We need that reminder sometimes. Um, And so I do a two-hour kind of action planning dive deep session where we kind of go through each of those elements of your nature. And so that's sort of like the quick version, even though it doesn't support like long-term accountability and support. That's a really fun thing. If you're like, I don't really want to commit to 12 weeks of one-on-one coaching. I just want to organize all of these ideas in my head and all that I've processed through this year and just make a plan and make something that I'm really excited about and have so much joy about the process because that's what's really going to help each of us make the changes we want to make if we feel like it's, if it's playful and fun versus like, oh, I have to work out today. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I love it. I'm like, keep going. So <laughs> yummy. And it's so simple because I think a lot of people have succeeded the way they do. Tony Robbins, Louise Hay, all these other, um, you know, self 
self-empowerment, self-development icons because they've made things simple. They've simplified someone's ability to succeed by getting in their body and radically changing their physiology. I'd say more Tony Robbins. Um, journaling is something some people don't realize can be so monumental in being able to contact that inter very hidden world that we don't want to access sometimes Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. what would you say to people around how journaling has helped you and your journey as well as others contact that intimate content yeah Uh, for me personally it's been it's just bringing whatever is going on inside outside so I can kind of see it it's kind of like painting a picture so that I can be like oh that's what I'm going through right now. Sometimes when it's all swirling in our head, it can be really overwhelming. And that's that balloon feeling I was also <laughs> talking about. And sometimes when I write, maybe I'll, I'll be feeling so much and then I'll sit down to write, especially when I'm writing outdoors and I'll write like four lines. <laughs> oh, it actually was quite simple. And then to be able to see it and honor it. And it is another way of releasing. So speaking of that those physical things too, but it is also, um, a mental and emotional and a physical way too to release and wild writing is a beautiful practice. It's just, it's like a, it's a timed, timed process where you just write the whole time. And the point is to like, not leave your pen to the paper. Sometimes your hand starts to kind of cramp up and it's, it's physical writing, which I would recommend to everybody who is writing, not typing this kind of writing and get a pen that you really love and just, just like set maybe five minutes to start out with. Um, there are some really amazing prompts. If you look up wild writing, I don't remember the woman's name who created this, um, but it has been widely adapted and it is an amazing practice. So there's some journal prompts there. Um, I also provide journal prompts and uh, as well on my blog, um, I haven't been as on it weekly as I was, but, um, some journaling prompts on there and just kind of writing whatever happens. Also, if you don't really deal with, if you don't want to deal with prompts, that's totally fine. Um, just start writing. Even if it's just like scribbles until you feel like some words are coming out. If you're a drawer, that's also part of it. Um, just doodling, getting whatever is in as a feeling out on paper. And sometimes if it's pretty, if it's stuff that you just want to get rid of, sometimes like burning that paper, changing the physical chemistry of it, just in a safe environment, <laughs> of course, don't cause any forest fires. Please. Um, but yeah, sometimes that can be really therapeutic as well if you need to get that stuff out. I love it. I, um, I want to hit on another aspect of your work. You, you, you chat about... And you go into the idea of counter conditioning. What is that? And looking to children as masters. Yeah. Um, I was looking at the definitions of counter conditioning again because I was like, you know what? Maybe I'm not using the right word. I think what I was talking about was more classical conditioning, which I believe is kind of getting rid of the stimulus entirely. So, like if someone. For example, I I was told a lot, like I, I was told through media and through peers and stuff that I should be wearing makeup. That is something that I've been told and that I've been conditioned in. 
And my, I've kind of had to condition myself out of that and be like, you know what? I don't need that. Um, I'm, and find other things that serve me better, which is just SBF and some rose oil that works for me. You got to find what works for you though. And so conditioning myself that way, counter conditioning is like, for example, when my dog, I have a, I have a seven month old puppy, June, you met him the other day and he really hated the vacuum at first. So I had to give him some treats and associated it with the vacuum. So maybe for example, regarding, regarding, um, exercise or food, or some other areas of physical wellness, maybe we haven't had a good relationship with food our whole lives. And maybe we have had a parent who shamed us, or maybe that came from media or peers or even ourselves. And how to counter condition ourselves to fall in love with our food, have a relationship with our food and find reasons to to love that same thing. So that's kind of what my understanding of counter conditioning is in relation to wellness and wellness coaching also related to exercise talking about finding joy in the process so if the gym isn't your thing the gym isn't my thing either some people love that and that if that's what works for you so awesome it's a cool community and if it doesn't that's totally fine too but find something that gives you so much joy to do um, even if it's walking, walking is exercise too. Gardening is exercise. I don't think people, so many of us don't really think of that. It seems like we got to pump iron, but just moving our bodies is so yeah. good. So kind of re, re falling in love with movement, I would say is what. <laughs> and checking in, why are we moving? Are we moving to be able to pick something up or, you know, I know people who have body built and they can't even wipe their tush. because their arm can't open you know and so it's interesting um yeah and uh my partner he's letting himself kind of unwind and he has new sensations in his body because he's no longer holding in a certain way Mm -hmm. he might not look like a soldier the way he he did when i met him but the thing is i don't actually want someone who's a soldier mentality because they're always ready to fight fight or flight i want someone who ready to receive the abundance of God and enjoy uh, life. And but be, I want to be able to functionally use my body, to be able to lift things again, to be able to squat, to be able to army crawl, whatever it is. And so each person being able to identify what is that for them. And I like that we're bringing up the idea of conditioning because a lot of us don't realize we're getting subliminal messages everywhere we go. I have to use my phone to read. Mm-hmm brainwash myself with like better (laughs) virtues that I want to practice daily because I'm getting them everywhere else, billboards, social media, emails, um, whether or not I like it. Mm -hmm. Um, And to chat a bit about conditioning as well as looking as children Mm -hmm. as masters, looking to children as the masters. Because I don't think people do enough peeling the layers Mm -hmm. of deconditioning themselves. So I'm happy that you went there and used that term. Um, if you want to rip off any more of that, as well as the children, um, yeah, as masters, idea. Yeah. Um, well, we each have a child inside of us. Still, we have every part of ourselves that have ever existed. Um, we aren't totally grown. We are still growing, and so I think that both honoring young children that we see as and just 
when I see a child and they're just like so in awe of things, I'm like, okay, that is what I want to be rather than, I mean, sometimes, I mean, children are also blindly receive what they're told. Um, and now we are not children. And so that we can, we can have that discernment mixed with the childlike wonder. And so looking to child and seeing how they play, seeing how they cry when they're sad. Like, I want to, I want to be able to do that. I want to be able to release like children, play like a child, connect like a child. I mean, what, how often do us adults be like, Hey, you want to play? <laughs> you know? But really it's, is it, is it severe issue? Yeah. I will riff off that at the end. Yeah. I was actually writing. Um, I just like, sat down to write I haven't written in a few days and it's I felt like I've needed to and I wrote a little a little thing about not being a child and still being a child and I would love to share it if you're open please is now a good time please yes cool where'd it go I had it it totally disappeared. <laughs> the uh, the play um, while you look for it. Oh, I found it. <laughs> Good. I'll rip off the play later. Yeah. So, um, if you are comfortable, if you want to like relax or close your eyes or anything as well, it's a little bit longer. So just find yourself. Settle in. I am not a child, barefoot and wild. I see the whole world now with my whole body. My eyes gaze like fire. I work and I tire. And I see the beauty and the destruction of my home. I feel it all in my bones. Rage courses through my veins. The earth crumbles and the bees still bumble. I see nature still cycling, but I cannot be still. I just have so many questions about why the world is this way. These questions don't often have answers and my wonder does not go to rest. I ask the questions and I wait. I get impatient and ask more questions about why I cannot know. And one day, the wind blew. She said to me, you are a child, barefoot and wild. You are safe inside this body. You are loved within this skin. You are a home. For a heart and a mind, a spirit and a soul, you will never be grown, but growing. You cannot always know, but knowing. All the answers are in your own body, all humanity, all life within your bones. Grown through all generations of life ever inside you. God's own blood coursing through your veins breathe. The wind you hear now is the same wind the very first lung breathed in. You've grown up and you are growing. Keep witness to 
your mind as it rests, if only for a moment, your tummy gurgling inside, your heart still thumping, expanding through her cage, your teeth munching, your crackles and pops releasing, your breath as the wind in this place there is knowing. My eyes gaze in wonder at the beauty and destruction of my home. But this body is all that I know. The whole earth is inside. You are a child, barefoot and wild, grown with the earth, perfect as you are. <sighs> Thanks for listening. The whole, my whole body is the earth. It's so I, I tremble at that the feeling internally that I've been so disconnected from. Did it come out of a certain question or? experience that bit of writing um a little bit yeah <laughs> would you like to share if not no worries yeah um I can share a little bit of it last week I have a I had a pretty it was almost as like a breaking of innocence in a lot of ways feeling both in awe and wonder and totally unprepared and unexpected. And my body did as it needed to. Um, my partner and I have chosen to not buy any more meat and we have been hunting. Um, speaking of connecting with the land and being part of our ecosystem and connecting with the food. So beautiful. So we have been hunting and, um, my husband finally got, uh, he received a, a doe and it was just a really, really intense process. He brought her home and it was, it was pretty late at night and, um, he was pretty tired and he ended up cutting his finger when he was processing her. And so I had to step in and I've always been like, love you do the hunting. I'll like cook and I'll support you. And that's your thing. I'm perfectly content not eating meat <laughs> the rest of my uh, life. <laughs> and so, um, in the moment, yeah. In the moment, it was like, this is what I needed to do. It was late. We couldn't have done anything really. And his, his hand was pretty badly cut. I was so upset with him for a while, but I love him. It was hard for him too. <laughs> but anyway, so I, um, I, I butchered a deer, which was one of the most intense experiences that I have had outside of my body. Um, and totally felt like, a loss of innocence in, in that sense. But at the same time, it felt like it kept me so honest. And that is what I feel like growing up is in some ways is having awe and wonder and appreciation and deep, deep gratitude and being able to pull it together and do what we need to do. And then 
I just like had a really, really intense therapy session a few days ago and just let it all out. So yeah. allowing the <laughs> allowing the feelings and not keeping in that um, override, which I totally had to do in that moment. Mm. So, so that was part of how that came. Oh, so honor you for going there because it's like, we don't know when life's going to hit us with a huge lesson. And then we must go, I believe, and allow the integration process to happen. All these people want to do plant medicine. All these people want to get out of their bodies and see colors in, in the spiritual realm or have a breakthrough. Mm-hmm. But then what does the integration process look like? Yeah. And if you had to shatter, break, or cry, like, whoa, have whatever experience you had, I so honor you and respect you for walking that walk to fully integrate in in whatever expression that needed to happen because people don't want to come down and bring their new insight into the body and really mm-hmm. embody their choices mm-hmm. who they're meant to be. And we don't always get to choose who we are. Like you said, I don't mind eating meat the rest of my life. Yet I choose him and I choose this way of working with the earth. And so I choose fullness. To me, it's like you're choosing the fullness of your creation that is being reflected back to you. And you're owning it and fully walking and embodying it. And I honor you. Because how often would someone who would never want to eat meat, but love someone who does eat meat, really help them slay their nourishment. You know, and I know many people who their partner's paleo and they are vegan because of their their autoimmune, their their needs, um, but truly choosing and embodying and embracing the other. I am just so much respect for you. I'm so grateful you just went there with that story. It shows a full circle of resilience in your nature. In your relationship, you guys are still together somehow. Yeah. Made it through. Yeah, we always do. But that's... And it was hard. It was deeply, deeply hard for him. Also, embodying his emotional, emotional side. It was was so emotional for him as well. And for us to communicate both the strength that we both had that night, as well as the deep sadness and grief. And to have a partner where you can process that with is oh so needed. And I wish that upon everybody. Yeah, I do too. Please correct me if I'm wrong. When you slay an animal, you have to do it quickly. Mm-hmm. That's why I I didn't I could not have let her go to waste. Yeah. Her life needed. Yeah, her life needed. Right? There's a certain amount of time you need to. It's yeah. a big process. And that's why my goal is to be able to fully skin a chicken by the end of the year. And then I'm very interested in being able to do the same thing, hunt and stop buying um, only from the farmer's market. We buy our meat, yeah. you know, fully integrate. And so I think people are so disconnected. Yeah, I was before this. This was way too intimate. <laughs> of what, what it really is um, yeah. and how to really receive the nourishment from that other being that animal you have to do it quickly or Mm -hmm. scientific chemical things that happen right yeah we have removed from that yeah we have a lot of upland game birds here like pheasants and grouse and we have um, been hunting for grouse mostly because we can take our little doggy and he can smell them better than we can because they hide really well 
And, um, that is also really a challenging process, but it was also like, I'd never cried when I've eaten fried chicken, but when we made fajitas with grouse, I just like had tears of gratitude, like deep, deep gratitude, which I've never had for the food. And if, if any of the people watching are, um, gardeners or hunters, you'd know that experience. It's, it's unlike anything else to, to see your food living in the ground or on the earth, walking along the earth and then to, to prepare it. And every step of the way it is, wow. Like talk about connection. True connection. Yeah. And and getting real because I think that, um, I lost my train of thought, but it will come back. (laughs) So needed. Well, what I was going to say is we're all hunters. Mm -hmm. We like to pretend that we're not. Um, and so people are, you know, hard on their friends who are hunters, yet they still eat meat, even if they're not a hunter. Hunting culture can be pretty toxic too, though. And I think there are a lot of men out there that don't allow themselves to feel the grief. They're just like, yeah, conquer. Yeah. (laughs) There's a fine line. Yeah. that's, That's a whole other perspective of watching my friends and then they give their lives for me and I prepare it to you know, game hunting or, you know, trophy hunting, very different. Mm -hmm. But if we want to eat meat, we should be able to prepare it and kill it ourselves. And I've always felt that since I was little, four-year-old hearing that, you know, manage the animals on the earth type thing. Like, and I want to come hunting with you all. Come to Montana. It's just one of those Montana things. (laughs) But you've made a very clear decision to no longer buy it to really own the choice. And I really honor that and am in reverence to y'all's intimate process with it as a couple and nature in itself. Um, I've loved this so much, so much nourishment from this um, connection and chat. And I'm having major deja vu right now, which is extra, like, double good. (laughs) Um, I'd love to hear if you have any you know, things you would like to say about what you've learned in your practice, how you've seen people transform with your approach, and just anything you would like to say to people when it comes to they shrug, they shrug, like, oh, I don't really need to go for a walk, or I don't really need to be in connection with nature. Any any words of wisdom you'd like to leave us with today? You can take as long as you need. Mm. It's a great question. I would encourage each of you to ask where that is coming from, whether you feel like you need to go out or if you feel like you don't need to go out or if you feel like you do need to exercise or you just want to rest. Is that coming from you or is that coming from someone else? Maybe parent which so many of our things come from maybe all the media that we're seeing every moment or is it coming from inside of you and that's what I encourage each of us to listen to is where is that coming from is it coming from outside or inside and sometimes when we are physically outside we can be in our body and inside that much deeper. I love that. So real. 
And I will, I will um, add to the part of children's Thanks. masters in play. At Stanford, um, they were graduating a lot of students and they weren't staying in the jobs they were graduating into. And Stanford, huddy mm-hmm. school, so that's mm-hmm. not right. And they contacted a couple of the engineer professors. And they said, you guys can design the perfect car. Can you help us design the perfect life? And they, Evans and Burnett, are the names of the two men, asked them to put together this curriculum to help the children have a more fulfilling, balanced life so that the job and the career they would choose, they would stay in. Mm-hmm. And the four barometers that they have people check, I was given this book from a philanthropist, um, a very incredible family who makes all her children <laughs> read this book to succeed. Um, <laughs> the four barometers were health, work, love, and joy. And mm-hmm. a lot of the self-development, you know, ways to manage our lives, they, they don't often include joy or play as mm-hmm. an essential barometer. And these mm-hmm. engineers who then became these life design professors said it was crucial and everyone had to define it differently what work was for them like we're saying go against our conditioning and truly define it what um health was for them what love was for them Mm -hmm. ways to get those needs met no matter what and joy that they had to be met or there would there would be an imbalance and they have the, the kids kind of try out um different three different jobs they can't just try one. They really have to experiment and play, make sure whatever careers they're looking at choosing, that they're going to be able to get their other needs met as well and not have them mm. as much. But um, I'm really happy we went to all the places we went to in this interview. And we went it was to an adventure. Places. <laughs> um, and uh, I thank you for <laughs> honoring my interviewing style. Which of course. <laughs> Uh, conversational um, and storytelling on my part as well. Mm-hmm. I love it. May I share two more things with you before we wrap up? We've been on such an adventure so far. And I do want to share one thing. It just kind of came back up after we talked about Leave No Trace and your, your bag story. <laughs> but for those of you who have never pooped in the woods, you should totally do it. Just have to find a, find a spot, a good spot, maybe some loose dirt, feel the earth first. <laughs> Ask if you may. <laughs> actually, I would recommend digging the hole before you actually have to go because when you have to go, you have to go. And dig a hole that's about six inches about this deep. And then bury it and bring your toilet paper with you. But everything else, just you can just plant the little seed in the earth and you don't have to bring it home with you in a bag and stink up your car. We'll have it hang out the window of the car. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I'm so happy you just educate us on that. Please, more. <laughs> um, yeah, and <laughs> the other thing is totally unrelated. I just saw this Brene Brown quote, and she said that it takes courage to say yes to rest and play in a culture when exhaustion is seen as, as a status symbol. And I love that. And I just saw that right before we spoke. And I was like, I would love to share that with you because that's it. It takes courage to set boundaries and to to play and to see rest as productivity. 
Yes. And it's, we have to redefine for ourselves because it's scary when mm-hmm. a lot of people don't like us, if we're dating someone new or, you know, our family members or all these people, we try and think we're going to get our acceptance from. And then we aren't how we would be when we are alone with them because yeah. they will judge us instead of saying, I'm proud of having limitations and a structure of which that allows me to truly grow and not mm-hmm. without energy. And, um, I love maps. Mm, me too. And some people can't do them, but I need them. And my health drastically changed. And my father started taking them too. <laughs> um, which yes. was funny. We had this visit a couple, maybe a year ago. And I just kind of said, we're going to just do my routine. I know the world revolves around you. You're the patriarch. But you're just going to see what I do in the mornings. Jump on my rebounder, you know, go for a walk, work take a nap and then I would watch comedy and he's like you know you're supposed to laugh and cry every day too this is so healthy for you I'm so proud of you it's always interesting the individuation process too from the parents mm-hmm. and the hippie out there you know they call me the doctor as well just so intense um but being able to show my dad, just how I, how I lived, it might not have been his initial, I don't know, it, you know, way of going about things, but he, he saw the value in it. And I think the more we embody the truth of who we are, the more people will really seek and embody the truth of who they are. Mm-hmm. Us, and we value each other. My partner and I have this joke where we really want to honor each individual's evolution. And we always say like, we don't know if they're evolving into a walrus and I'm evolving into a hummingbird and we don't really know what their needs are or you know what their nature is or how they're supposed to ripple through this world at this time. And we try and really keep an open-minded perspective on each person's needs mm-hmm. and they don't harm and we're able to have our yeah. own needs. But a big hug, a thank you to you, a thank you to that dear, thank you to your mm-hmm. husband, um and such an amazing amazing chat thanks for anyone who joined us where can we find you you can find me either on my blog and website that's outside is your best side.com or um i'm just learning how to use instagram so that is outside wellness awesome and instagram, <laughs> and yeah instagram is outside wellness Mm-hmm. Um. Well, thank you, Emma. We love thank you, you so thank much, you guys, for watching the personal, local, global wellness show hosted by Cindy Wellness, and we'll see you very soon. Thank you all for listening. And the real fundamental you, you, you. Well, if you'd like a place where there's never a dull moment, choose the right flavor of wellness for you. Cindy Wellness hosts the personal local global wellness show.